It's no secret that the NFL has a problem when it comes to its head coaches. Mainly, they're almost all white in a league where black players are the super majority. League officials and even fans have offered all sorts of excuses about this discrepancy for decades. But now there's an explosive federal lawsuit about the matter. It was filed this month by former Miami Dolphins head coach Brian Flores, and he's put this persistent and longstanding problem on stage. The NFL lifer says that the lack of black head coaches shows that the league and its teams are, well, to put it bluntly, racist. I'm Gustavo Ariano. You're listening to The Times, daily news from the LA Times. It's Wednesday, February 9th, 2022. Today, we talk about Brian Flores' lawsuit. He names names, describes disturbing scenes, and just calls out the NFL big time. Meanwhile, the league says the lawsuit has no merit. They're instead focusing on Super Bowl 56, which is happening this Sunday. Elsie Granderson is a columnist for the LA Times, and he writes about culture, politics, sports, and navigating life in America. Elsie, welcome to the Times. Thank you very much for having me, though. I work for the LA Times, so I guess welcome to where you work. (laughs) (laughs) See, yeah, yeah, with the pandemic, we're not seeing each other in the office anyway, so that's impossible. So, okay, so this federal lawsuit uh, against the league, when I heard about it, I was flabbergasted by its allegations, but I was even more surprised by who filed it. It wasn't just some unknown person. Brian Flores was a longtime assistant coach for Bill Belichick with the Patriots. He started in 2003 as a gopher, and he stayed with the Patriots organization all the way up until he was hired, I believe his first year with the Miami Dolphins was in 2019. So this is a longtime NFL coach we're talking about here. And after his dismissal, of the Miami Dolphins following two winning seasons, mind you, he began looking for a new job as a fire coach should. And what he discovered uh, in this process was that he felt as if none of the interviews that he was currently having or very few of the interviews prior to his hiring in Miami were being held in earnest. Um, I I was upset that I wasn't getting a true opportunity Um, to show what I can do, to show what I can bring to a team, um, which I feel is a lot. The lawsuit, he calls it a sham interviews, which is language that many Black assistant coaches that I've spoken to over the years have also used to describe their encounter or their uh, process as they were looking for head coaching positions. So he accused the NFL and three teams that are named in the class action lawsuit, the Giants, the Broncos, and the Miami Dolphins, the team that fired him, for racial discrimination. Because we need change. That was, that, was, that was the number one reason. Um, and I know there's, there's a sacrifice, there's risk to that, but um, at the end of the day, um, we need change. So, yeah, the league, of course, is saying Flores' claims aren't true. And by the way, Brian Flores, not just a black coach, but Afro-Latino, the first ever Afro-Latino head coach in the NFL. His parents are from Honduras. But I want to read this excerpt from his lawsuit, which is 58 pages. Quote, In certain critical ways, the NFL is racially segregated and is managed much like a plantation. It's 32 owners, none of whom are black, profit substantially from the labor of NFL players, 70% of whom are black. 
The owners watch the games from atop NFL stadiums in their luxury boxes while their majority black workforce puts their bodies on the line every Sunday, taking vicious hits and suffering debilitating injuries to their bodies and their brains while the NFL and its owners reap billions of dollars. Wow. What details from the lawsuit really stood out to you the most? Was it that John Elway and the Denver Broncos thing? Uh, Well, the John Elway uh, meeting definitely was an eye-opener in the sense that we hadn't heard any rumblings of that story from anyone until the lawsuit, right? So he basically is accusing John Elway and his associates, one, for showing up about an hour late for the interview, and anyone who's an NFL fan knows how precious time is. There are penalties if you don't start play on time. So time is something that John Elway, who is a Hall of Fame quarterback, knows very, very well how important it is. So for him to show up an hour late for an interview is already letting you know that perhaps he's not viewing this as important as he should. But then the idea that he and his associates would show up disheveled and it looked as if they were hungover. But for me, the really damning aspect of that lawsuit was the idea that Stephen Ross, the owner of the Miami Dolphins, wanted Brian Flores, his head coach, to purposefully lose in hopes of getting better draft positioning. And the reason why that is really, really bad (laughs) is because, one, he was going to bribe him. He wanted to pay him $100,000 per loss. But also, two... The NFL is looking to, you know, be a major player with online gambling and sports betting. So this idea that the the owner of a team is paying his head coach to lose games really puts the NFL as a whole in a bad light. In addition to the conversations about racial discrimination, now you have a question of actual competition fairness. It was absolutely incredible hearing those accusations of straight up misconduct and bribery. But the tiny number of black NFL head coaches, those stats are real. And the league will say that there's been efforts to fix it. And Flores does mention something in his lawsuit about the Rooney Rule and how much of a sham it ended up being. Yes. Uh, The Rooney Rule came to existence because uh, the late, great Johnny Cochran actually threatened uh, legal action. Surprise, surprise. Legal action against the NFL based upon racial discrimination. It's a reoccurring theme, people. (laughs) And the solution, instead of being sued for racist practices in terms of hiring head coaches, would be the Rooney Rule, which would require teams to bring in minority candidates for interviews because they wouldn't even get in through the door for interviews prior to the Rooney Rule. There was full compliance with the Rooney Rule. There were, in fact, I believe, a record number of interviews, but we didn't have the outcomes we wanted. And the outcomes are to make sure that we have full diversity throughout our coaching ranks. At the moment, you know, I went back and did some digging. Uh, The ideal of the Rooney Rule was well-received, at least in the media. But since then, what we've all witnessed is a failure of the Rooney Rule doing what it was designed to do, which was to help create legitimate opportunities for head coaches of color. Yeah, they're not even getting hired. It's literally, okay, we're going to go through this interview. You say your thing, but you really stand no chance. That's the overarching theme of Flores' lawsuit. Absolutely. And I mean, the data's there. You know, that's that's the thing that's really, you know, damaging in terms of the NFL's positioning is that how do you argue against yourself? The Rooney Rule, when it was enacted, had only two black head coaches. 
the lawsuit, which was filed on the first day of Black History Month, there's only one current Black coach. So just a few days after we recorded this, the Houston Texans hired Levy Smith. So now there's officially two Black head coaches in the NFL. Anyways, we'll have more after the break. Welcome back. LZ, you mentioned that, you know, the lawsuit was filed on the very first day of Black History Month. And the NFL will boast about some of its Black history, but the record isn't exactly the best. No, I I mean, listen, we all are witness to what the NFL looked like and how it handled the Colin Kaepernick conversation. We all have bared witness to the fact that the NFL did not have a Black head coach until 1989 with Art Shell. So, you know, it's really hard for the NFL to come out strongly and say things like this lawsuit is without merit or that we are, you know, defenders or champions of diversity. When you look at some of the key positions in terms of leadership and how difficult it has been for Black men in particular to break through. You know, I mentioned Art Shell, but, you know, think about the quarterback positioning and how the NFL as a league is just now getting comfortable with Black quarterbacks. Like, so there are so many examples of the NFL being resistant to Black leadership that, yes, there are examples they can point to to say, hey, look at us, we're doing a good job. But the environment that created the Rooney Rule at the end of the day really hasn't changed that much. And the sad thing about all this is that if you go back to the early days of the NFL, you actually had a black quarterback and a head coach, the same guy at the same time. His name was Fritz Pollard. We're talking about a black man as a pro football pioneer in the 1920s. And yet here we are in 2022 with only two black head football coaches in the NFL. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there there is a difference between the modern day NFL and then the NFL as a league and as a whole. And much of the discussions that we're having are really centered on the modern NFL. It's very similar to the country as a whole. There is, you know, Reconstruction, and it's what the country looked like prior to Reconstruction. So the NFL, um, in the modern-day era, to have gone about four decades without a Black head coach um, really speaks to the seismic shift in terms of how this league viewed players in general and how this league viewed Black men in particular. You'd expect, especially after 2020 and especially after the NFL is allowing its players to put Black Lives Matter and other similar slogans on their uniforms and on the football field, that the league would try to get better. But why are things getting worse? (laughs) So you thought that decal meant something, huh? (laughs) I got to put it out there. You thought those words scribbled in the end zone meant something, huh? No, what would have meant something is Colin Kaepernick getting a fair opportunity to get another job in the NFL. That would have meant something. What would have meant something is that instead of suggesting that, you know, that, you know, there is a separation between the NFL as a business and the NFL as a partner, as it pertains to race, that there would be no separation when there clearly is. You know, it is about spinning the media. It's about spinning the PR messaging. But nothing significant has happened in terms of the culture of the NFL. And the way that the lawsuit describes how the NFL is similar to a plantation. Remember, the NFL was planning in Vegas of having an NFL draft and putting black men on a boat 
to then have that boat go across a body of water and then get handed the yeah. hat of the team that drafted him. And someone came up with this idea <laughs> and no one immediately said, that's not a good look. <laughs> they were going to go through with it until the pandemic. Oh, man. I, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, yeah. The decals are cute. You know, end zone sayings are really nice. End racism. Yeah, that's cool. But we know what this is. So Mike Tomlin, Pittsburgh Steelers head coach, second longest tenure in the league right now after Bill Belichick, a longtime winner, a Super Bowl champ, and a black man. It must weigh on him that he's always asked about his thoughts on why there's not more black coaches in the NFL. Yeah, it, it definitely weighs on him. But, you know, I'm sure what weighs on him more is the fact that no one asks the white people those questions. Yeah. Mike Tomlin can't hire an NFL coach, but the white owners can. The GMs. They can, but we have this knee-jerk reaction in media in general that we ask the people who are oppressed, what can they do to not be oppressed, as opposed to asking the oppressors, why can't you stop oppressing people? You know, I'm openly gay, I'm queer, and, you know, I can't tell you how many times people ask me, what can we do to stop homophobia? And I'll say, why don't you ask the homophobes? (laughs) (laughs) So it's like... Poor Mike Tomlin has been forced to answer the question about the poor number of black head coaches as if he's in position to change that. Ask the people who can actually do the hiring, why aren't you hiring qualified black men? Coming up, how the NFL seemingly goes out of its way to hire white head coaches. And we're back with LA Times columnist Elsie Granderson. Elsie, straight up, why the hell do owners keep hiring white guys as head coaches? Ask the white guys who are hiring them. <laughs> I mean, you're asking me. I'm, I've never hired a white coach, at least not in the NFL. My, I can, my guess is that, you know, there is comfort in the familiar. There is comfort in, you know, being around people who are like-minded or you assume are like-minded or share worldview. And you try to find you know, some sort of identifiers in order to find those people. And in the NFL, that identifier appears to be skin color, in addition to sexual orientation and being cisgender and everything else. The owners like having the face of the franchise be someone that reflects something that they're familiar with. And I'm not going to sit up here and say that that's inherently evil. We all like being around people that affirms us. We all like being around people who share some of our worldviews or experiences. There's comfort in that. The problem, of course, is that if you are hiring based solely upon that, then what happens is that there's exclusion and there's unfair exclusion. And you start dismissing people as being viable candidates based solely upon the skin color, not necessarily because you hate Black people, but because you just love yourself so damn much. And I think what the NFL ownership group really needs to do is have a come to Jesus meeting and ask ourselves, why has this continued on 20 years after the Rooney rule? It's on us. What aren't we doing? And if they want some answers, I can you know, certainly point them to a right direction. But I think the lawsuit is a good place to start. Do you see any hope in the future of hiring more black 
NFL head coaches, especially based as what you mentioned earlier with the quarterback position, because forever to be a black quarterback in the league was like there was just so much suppression, the idea of it. But the 2020 season started with 10 black starting quarterbacks, which was the most ever still way too few. But at least there's a start. So maybe there is hope for black uh, NFL head coaches. This is really about a shift in the worldview of the people doing the hiring and the firing. And holding each other accountable as we in the media continues to keep the heat on them by showcasing the data that is undeniable. You know, I, I saw a couple of numbers here. I just want to run by quickly just to kind of epitomize, you know, what or embody what exactly that I'm talking about here. The previous hiring cycle in 2021, there was one Black head coach hired out of seven openings. And that one Black head coach was fired one year into his position. The previous four hiring cycles, there were 27 openings and only three Black men were hired. And that's recent. That's including the 2020 decal conversation that you brought up. That's including the conversation, the racial reckoning we're supposed to be having, right? Post-George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery. That pattern has not changed much since the Rooney Rule was put in place. Is that on Black people or Latino men or Asian Pacific Islanders? Or is that on the men who have owned these teams for decades and decades, the men who are in charge of interviewing and hiring? Is that a reflection of them? I'm going to think it's the latter. I, 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 I know, call me crazy, but I just think that a league that is more than 70% Black and has been majority Black for a number of decades now, and since that would logically be the pool of candidates you would draw from, I'm going to assume that there's more than one Black man that's been qualified to coach in the NFL coming next season. It's up to the owners to ask themselves, why aren't we seeing this through? Elsie Granderson, thank you so much for this conversation. Thank you very much for having me. And that's it for this episode of The Times, daily news from the LA Times. Tomorrow, the cultural history of the Super Bowl halftime show. Come for the Nipplegate, stay for the weekend. Our show is produced by Shannon Lynn, Denise Guerra, Katra Basalian, Ashley Brown, and Angel Carreras. Our engineer is Mario Diaz. Our editor is Kinsey Moreland. Our executive producers are Hasmin Aguilera and Shawnee Hilton. And our theme music is by Andrew Eben. Like what you're listening to? Then make sure to follow the times on whatever platform you use. Don't make us the Puccio Podcasts. I'm Gustavo Ariano. We'll be back tomorrow with all the news and desmadre. Gracias. Gracias.